I hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. John, chapter 10. And we will be looking together at verses 22 to 33. 22 to 33. Jesus in these verses is continuing to use the imagery of a shepherd with his sheep to illustrate and to describe the relationship between himself and his people, the church. And we have some of the most encouraging words recorded from the Lord Jesus here. Words that point us to the reason why in Jesus there is true and eternal safety. True and eternal safety. Within the flock of his sheep. But I need to pose this question to you before we dig into the word here. Do you consider the church to be a safe place? Well, for so many, they do not. And they have just grounds for that skepticism. The church is not a safe place. And why is it not a safe place? It's because they look at the history of the church And they look at the kinds of things that people do and say in the name of Christ. And they look at the atrocities and they look at the abuse that has been and continues to be committed in the church. Not out in the big bad world, but in the church. Among people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And they say, The church is not a safe place. Why would I want anything to do with that? Look at the hurt. Look at the harm that has resulted from people participating in the church. So what are we to say in response? Well, I am not here to defend the church as an organization or as an institution. What is commonly known as the visible church. There is no pure, visible church this side of the new heaven and the new earth. Every church has impurity and corruption in it. Sin continues to be committed. I'm not here to defend any of that. But I I am here to draw a distinction. A sharp and a hard distinction. And it's a distinction that circles back to what I said when we first launched these series of sermons on the nature of the church. And that distinction is this. There is an eternal difference between being present in the church and being part of the church. The distinction between being merely present in Occupying a pew, having your name on a membership roll, bringing your Bible to church, reading along, praying along, singing along, merely being president, those are all good things. But they're not enough. 
the real question, the question that is of eternal significance, is not whether or not you are present in the church, it is, are you part of the church? It's the reality described in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. They were not of us. They were present in body only. And so I ask you, are you part of the church? Do you belong to the Good Shepherd? And if you do, I want you to know that the safest place on earth is in the nail-pierced hand of the Good Shepherd. The safest place on earth is not in the church as an organization, as a collective group of people. It is in the Savior, the Lord, the head of the church. The one who said, I am the Good Shepherd. The one who says, I lay down my life for the sheep. In His nail-pierced hand, you can have true and eternal safety. And I pray that by the work of the Holy Spirit, many would be gathered in to his sheepfold and that we would all be more thankful as a result of knowing this true and eternal safety that we can have in him and in him alone. So let's read together and see why this is the case. John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Pausing there. Let's notice the setting of Jesus' words here. We're told it's the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. This is more commonly known today as Hanukkah. 
Hanukkah. A festival commemorating the year 164 B.C. When a man named Judas Maccabeus, Judas the Hammer, routed the enemy of God's people, Israel. And the enemy was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And he was one of the successors of Alexander the Great, a Syrian, and he chose to set up a pagan altar in the temple in Jerusalem. And he demanded that the Jews worship this pagan idol, this pagan statue. They revolted, led by Judas, and they overthrew Antiochus Epiphanes and his followers, and they restored true worship to the temple. This is all recounted in a book that is not inspired, but is noteworthy historically and important historically, First Maccabees. You can read about this account in the fourth chapter of that book. But what is important for us to know in the context of this scene is that this is a festival commemorating liberation and freedom from those who oppress God's people. A freedom, and it carries on for eight days and eight nights. All filled with messianic overtones. And this is why the people come to Jesus at this time to ask the question, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one who's going to do greater works than Judas Maccabeus? Are you the one who's going to deal with the Romans once and for all? Are you going to finally fix what is wrong with the world and free us and liberate us? If so, we're ready. Just tell us plainly. Enough of the imagery. We've heard enough about the shepherd and the sheep. Just tell us plainly, who are you? Or should we look elsewhere? Well, the gospel writer adds an important detail here that should tip us off. But there's more driving their question than merely a desire for information, to merely glean more information about Jesus. We're told in verse 22, it was winter. It was winter. Now, we may read that and say, okay, well, that's when Hanukkah is celebrated, so that makes sense. It's just a historical detail, but not so fast. In the Gospel of John, these time references are not mere historical details. We're told, for example, in John 3, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. At night. This is important because he does not want to be seen by his contemporaries. When Judas betrays Jesus in John chapter 13, we're told he went out and it was night. When Peter betrays Jesus, he's standing out at a fire warming himself. We're told it was cold. And so this note about the time and the temperature is not just 
a mere historical detail. This is about the spiritual temperature of the audience. And there is spiritual coldness and deadness in their midst. They don't really come asking in good faith. They're in sin. And they don't really understand the problem. And so what we need to see in these verses is the facade of false safety. The facade of false safety. They think they know what they need to be safe. And they think that Jesus might be the one who can give them real safety. But it's all a facade. They don't really understand the root problem. The fundamental problem. And as so often happens, they come to Jesus hoping to learn more about Jesus. And Jesus turns the question around to tell them something about themselves. They come asking Jesus, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Tell us plainly. And what does Jesus start talking about? He starts talking about them. I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. In other words, you've seen enough already. And Jesus is saying, even if I came out and told you plainly, you're not ready for that. You're not ready to embrace a suffering Messiah. Even if I told you plainly, you wouldn't get it. Why? Verse 26, because it's not a lack of information. It's not even really a failure to hear. He says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. You don't really belong to me. Now, this is not to excuse them. Well, I guess we didn't have a chance because we weren't his sheep. No, this is, this is an indictment. This is a condemnation. To say you by nature don't understand the real danger and therefore you don't understand your real need. You're worried about the Romans. You're worried about enemies from without. You think that the problem with the world is out there somewhere. But the problem with the world is within you and within me. That's what you and I need to hear. And Jesus is pointing to them to say the problem is within you. You're not my sheep. You are by nature outside of my sheepfold. But they're under the delusion that safety can come from fixing something out there. From getting something right out there. And Jesus is saying... You are the problem. See, today, I, I don't know many people that have a problem with saying they're not perfect. Virtually everyone is willing to acknowledge they say wrong things, they do wrong things, they commit sins, even if sin is not a real category for them theologically. They admit they do wrong things and they say wrong things. We all have mistakes we need to work on. We all have things we struggle with. But that's not the real problem. 
All of those failures are mere symptoms. The root problem is in your heart and in my heart because we are born with a sinful nature. A nature that is bent away from God. That is inclined to turn away from God. That is inclined to try to find safety away from the source of safety. And what Jesus is pointing us to is that there is no real safety apart from Him. You cannot uncouple safety from His person. To be in Him is to be in the safest place on earth. But at the root of human sinfulness is this desire to try to achieve something, to do something, to accomplish something, to be something without God. It goes back to the very beginning. What does the serpent tell you? You're not going to die if you eat that. Because God, God's keeping something from you. He's, he's, he knows that if you eat that, you'll be like Him. And so they eat all under the delusion that they can be gods. That they don't need God Himself. That they can be self-satisfied and self-sufficient and independent. This is the fallacy of so much that drives human ambition. It's the desire to be independent. To try to be safe apart from Christ and the Good Shepherd. And it's all a facade. And so today, I need to ask you, do you merely believe that you do wrong things and say wrong things? Or do you believe in your heart that you are wrong? You're wrong in your posture toward God by nature. And without a free and sovereign intervention of His grace, you are lost and without hope. And you are in desperate danger. Not from the Romans. Not from your political opponents. Not from those who annoy you and aggravate you. Not from those who say mean things to you. Not from those who have hurt you, but in danger of God's holy judgment against human sinfulness. That's the real danger. And apart from God's intervention inside of you and inside of me, our sinful nature is all we have and we're stuck. We're not His sheep. No one is born into this world belonging to Him. We must be claimed by Him. You don't believe because you're not My sheep. Because you don't belong. That's the reason. That's the reason for unbelief. And then he points to the test of true safety. The test of true safety. Knowing that the problem is within me and within you. Here's what we need to hear. Jesus says, my sheep, those who belong to me, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I know them and they follow me. 
Test yourself against these descriptions. See if these are present in your life right now or not. Jesus says, my sheep, those who belong to me, they listen to my voice. I have their attention. I have their attention. They're ready and willing to hear. Sometimes with with children, we say, did you hear mommy and daddy? And we want some acknowledgement. Did you hear what I said? Okay, yes, right? Because often we don't want to do that, right? We want to turn away, pretend like we didn't hear those instructions, pretend like we have an excuse for not obeying. No, if you belong to the good shepherd, if you're one of his sheep, you listen to his voice. And how does he speak to us today? Through his word. And his word is truth. We don't sit in judgment over his word. We take his word as his word. And we submit ourselves to his word. And we believe this is no ordinary book. But so many think that they can glean the truth of the Bible by discriminating between this part and that part. I don't need that part. I don't really like that part. That part's not historical. I'll take this. I'll leave the rest. Like they're eating a fish with bone in it. Just eating around the bone, taking what they want. Oh no. This is the Word of God. This is the testimony to the Good Shepherd. You cannot know Him apart from the testimony that he gives about himself. So are you listening? There's no other way to be truly and eternally safe but through him. And Jesus says, I know them. I know them. Ask yourself, does he have your attention? Are you continually listening for him and looking for him? And ask yourself, does he know you? Does he know you? Because this knowledge is, is not merely knowing your name. This is an intimacy. A personal knowledge. He knows the deepest recesses of your heart. He understands you like no one else ever could or ever will. And mind you, this is the same one who in one glimpse can see to the farthest stretches of the universe. He sees and he knows every star there is. The same person says, I know my people. And I know them because I've set my affection upon them. Do you believe that you are known by that God or not? And Jesus says, they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. They obey. They obey. You want to ask whether or not you're one of his sheep? Ask, is their heartfelt obedience evident in your life or not? 
and obedience to whom? They follow me. Not morality, not a pastor, not the wishes of their own heart, not a tradition, not an organization, not an institution. They follow me. The true test of whether or not you're merely present in the church or part of the church is, are you following Him? Is your commitment to Him? Is your life given to Him? Does your heart belong to Jesus, the Good Shepherd? Or not? This is the test. And then, in verses 28-30, to we see the assurance of eternal safety. This is the assurance of eternal safety. What is the basis for this assurance? He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. The transformation that must be brought about in you and in me is the gift of God We don't get to decide, okay, I'm ready to be born again now. We don't get to say, all right, I'm ready to pray this prayer. I'll say these words, and then God owes me new birth. No, no, no. This is entirely the free and sovereign gift of God. But He can bring it it about instantaneously, any time of His own choosing. Do you know this new birth? To be born from above, born of heaven, so that you have a new nature that is drawn to the voice of the Good Shepherd, that has a a compelling sense that you are known, you are loved with an everlasting love, and you will follow him come what may. And you look at your life and you say, I would never have chosen that. That did not come naturally to me. It's His gift. I give them eternal life. And notice it's in the present tense. I give them. Not I gave them. I give them. I am giving them constantly. They are continually dependent upon the life that I give them. Safety comes from being in union with Him. You cannot uncouple safety from Jesus. You're not safe apart from Him. You're only safe in Him because of the life that He gives to His people. The life that He gives because He gave His life. Because His hands were pierced for our transgressions, for our sins, for our waywardness, for our rebellion, for our spurning of God's love for us, for our failures to give thanks, to say, I want the gift, but I don't want the giver. Every single one of us stands guilty before that charge. But the offer of the Gospel is that He can and He does give life. Do you know that life in you? It's grounded in His promise. It's also grounded in the greatness of the Father. The greatness of the Father. My Father 
who has given them to me. The Father, by his eternal purpose and decree, has given the sheep to the Son, and he is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one can outsmart God or outwit God. No one can get around his sovereign power. They're held secure eternally. The greatness of the Father. Who is greater than the Father? Is your fear, your doubt, your trial, whatever it might be, those who have harmed you, those who hurt you, the Father is greater. The Father is greater than hell itself. There is no one and there is nothing that can pluck any of His blood-bought sheep out of the Father's hand. Are you one of those sheep? Do you hear His voice? Do you know that He knows you? Are you following Him come what may? Test yourself against these truths. And know that the Son is one with the Father. I and the Father are one. And of course, this is what prompts his opponents to pick up stones to stone him. Now he's crossed the red line. It's one thing for you to talk about being the good shepherd. It's one thing for you to say you're the door. There's no other way into the sheepfold. But now you've crossed a line that no human should transgress. Now you're claiming to be one with God the Father. So how do you respond? Do you say, this is too much. This is too far. I can't accept this. That this man from Nazareth who was crucified as a criminal against Rome is one with the Father that shares the very essence of God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, shares all the divine attributes and yet is a distinct person with a distinct personality. Someone I can know and talk to. And that in the act of saving sinners, the Father and the Son are working together to bring about this great eternal purpose. You say, oh, I just can't believe all that. It's too much. It's too, too much of a stretch. Or do you say, no, he's right. I'm wrong. I stand in the wrong. I'm the problem. The sinfulness in my own heart demanded that he die on the cross to save me. There's no other way to save a wretch like me. A wretch like Dane Hadley. Can you confess that? You don't just say wrong things or do wrong things. You are wrong. I am wrong. And we can only be declared right and justified in Him. Do you know this life, this eternal life, this true safety, eternal safety, it can never be taken away. They will never perish. No one can take them out of His nail-pierced hand. Does His nail-pierced hand 
a hold of you and your life right now. Amen. Some will say, well, what if, what if I fail him? What, what, what if I thought I was a Christian, but I, I have sinned grievously? Nothing, nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. And, and here's what I'm saying. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. Those whom God has received into His beloved church into his fold, will never totally or finally fall away. Those whom he has justified by the blood of Jesus, sanctified by the work of the Spirit, they will never totally or finally fall away. Yes, they will stumble and fall. We are never perfected in this life, but we believe in the perseverance of the saints, those who have been made holy, those who have been sanctified by the work of the Spirit, can never finally or totally fall away. And those who do were never purchased to begin with. The perseverance of those who have been given a new nature, a Christ-honoring, Spirit-following, God-glorifying nature. Is that you? Is that you today? Are you thankful? We say, oh, I heard that my whole life. Tell us something new and fresh. We can't still be preaching this same stuff, can we? We dare not depart from what the Savior says. He is still the Good Shepherd. And it is still true that the safest place on this earth is His nail-pierced hand. And I pray that whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, that you would know the power of His hand taking hold of your life so that you are never the same again, changing you from the inside out so that you follow Him, you know Him, and most importantly, He knows you. If that doesn't bring about thanksgiving in your heart or your life, then I don't know what can. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we thank you for the safety that you have made available to us through your son, Jesus. We thank you that this safety is true safety, not false safety. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us for all the ways that we look for safety in the wrong places and the wrong people. Lord, disabuse us of those delusions. May we see clearly that there is no safety apart from the blood of Jesus. There is no other way for us to approach your holy throne, to endure your righteous judgment against our sinfulness apart from what Jesus has done for us in interposing his precious blood. Lord, may we cling, cling to Him. May we follow Him. May He be our all and all as You apply His work to us by the work of Your Spirit. 
And Lord, I pray if there is anyone who does not know this radical change, who has not experienced a new birth, Lord, I pray that this would be the day of salvation. Lord, save them by Your grace, all for Your glory. And Lord, for all of us, may we never get over this. May this never get cold. May we never become disinterested. May it always stir us toward thanksgiving and good works that bring you glory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.